Hi everyone, and welcome to this edition of Roar Lions Roar. I'm your host tonight, Matt Filipovitz, joined by my phenomenal co-host, Mr. Bill DeFilippo. Bill, you are in the most literal of ways behind enemy lines this week. How you doing? Uh, I'm doing okay. Uh, it's funny. I wore a I wore a Penn State shirt just while I was out and about doing a couple things today, and I could like I could feel a pair of eyeballs or two on me while I was just like you know, walking up to the coffee shop or uh, out, just out to get a bite to eat, something like that. You, it, I love these little reminders that this is a big, you know, college game day is coming <laughs> and big noon kickoff is coming. And it's uh, the high profile new game. But like the little reminders that we get that the people around us or around me specifically acknowledge that this is a game of some importance. Like it's just, it's really cool to get those, uh, get those little reminders throughout the day. Yeah, I had the same thing. I live, actually, the, probably the closest bar to me from my apartment is the biggest Ohio State bar in the city of Chicago, which is, it's a fun bar, I will say, I'll give it credit. But I walked by on my way to the Penn State bar yesterday, uh, and I definitely got a couple wandering yeah. eyes as I walked by the folks in line uh, rocking my Penn State sweatshirt. So uh, bit of a bit of an interesting time coming up this week for both of us in Midwest country, but we're not here to talk about Ohio State just yet. We are here to recap the Penn State UMass game. Before we do that, if you have that already, be sure to hit subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. If you're watching us on YouTube, hit that subscribe button, hit that like button, join us in the comments, talk all things Penn State. But Bill, homecoming weekend, a gross rainy day in Happy Valley. The Generations of Greatness uniform, though, always look awesome. The Argyle end zones always look awesome. And Penn State, like I mentioned, cruised to a 63 to nothing win over UMass. With this, the non-conference is in the rearview mirror. The bye week's in the rearview mirror. The Big Ten West is in the rearview mirror in literally every sense of that word. The Big Ten West, of course, is going away. But Bill, from this latest game against UMass, what were some of your big, broad takeaways from what was really one of the more complete performances I think we've seen out of Penn State in quite some time? So... This was a weird one uh, to me because I I think you're going to disagree with this statement, Matt, but yeah. there was absolutely nothing that Penn State could have done in my eyes that would have made me go, oh yeah, this team is ready to play Ohio State. Every like If I had any doubts before going into this game, they are suddenly erased. Like, I thought this game... In kind of the big, grand, broad spectrum view of things, I didn't think there was anything that we could, that could have happened in a good way. I thought there were a lot of things that could have happened in a bad way. I think they managed to avoid every single one of them. I think this game had one really, there was one bit of significance with this game that we'll get into a little bit, but... Do you agree with that sentiment? Do you think that coming out of this game, you feel like your view on Penn State being able to match up with Ohio State next week has changed at all? No, and I don't think that's what this game was for. I yeah, I, I, I totally agree. There's really not much you can take away from this game. Penn State was superior to UMass in every sense of the word. I don't know why Don Brown isn't retired. Uh, it feels like he has made his money and he could be hanging out on the beach and said he was in happy valley in like 40 degrees in the rain 
Um, that's a that's a glutton for punishment kind of guy if I've ever seen one. Uh, but no, Bill, I, there really wasn't anything that could have happened in this game that made me feel better about this season as a whole. Uh, except for like if Falcons would have gone out there and like nailed like a 56 yard kick, like that would have been like okay, well that'll travel. Um, yeah, we'll we'll talk about the the one bright spot, Bill. I'm assuming you're going to say is going to be Daquan. Our one uh, major takeaway is going to be Daquan Hardy, right? For sure. And uh, I, I would also say there was one other really there was one other reason why I thought this was an important game on Penn State's schedule, and, and it it was what we saw out of Penn State, Penn State's offense during the first two drives of the game. Matt, when was the last time that Penn State won coming out of the bye? Coming out of its bye? Oh, when was the last time Penn State won coming out of its bye? That's a great question. I don't believe there were bye weeks in 2020. Correct. So it's not that. They went on the road to Ohio State in 2021 after the bye. So it's not that. 2022 was Michigan after the bye. Happy one year anniversary to that game, by the way, Bill. That's fun. No, I disagree with the word happy there, but keep going. <laughs> yeah. um, 2018, they played on a... No, they didn't play on a Friday. In tw- oh, 2019, I'm on right now. They played on a Friday in 2019. I don't believe they had a bye week after that, before eh? that. Eh? Would it have been 2019? It would have been 2019. In 2022, like you mentioned, they got blown out uh, by Michigan coming off their bye. They had that gross win against Northwestern bye week. Michigan, where they come out and just look totally unprepared. 2021, mm-hmm. they lose to Iowa by week. Then they play the nine overtime game against Illinois, lose that one. And you were correct. 2020, oh. they ended up, uh, they didn't have a bye. 2019, they kicked the hell out of Maryland by week, uh, take care of business against Purdue uh, at home in that one, in a game where they were just firing out of the gates. And then you go back to 2018, Penn State loses, obviously, to Ohio State and Happy Valley by week. They end up playing Michigan State uh, off of that bye, and they end up losing that game again. It was just kind of gross, sluggish. They didn't quite look like themselves. So Penn State has been really bad for one reason or another another off of his bye, and I ultimately think the importance of this game was first drive, they come out, eight plays, 39 yards, first offensive turnover of the season, blah, gross, whatever. Second drive, seven plays, 10 yards, end up having to punt after Drew Aller is sacked on uh, a third and 14, Vega Yuane, I think, kind of gets lost in the sauce up in the front uh Penn State's offensive line. Aller gets sacked. They had to just kind of shake things off from there. And did it. I ne- at no like obviously at no point did I think UMass stood any sort of a chance in this game. But it an issue that we have seen from Penn State over the years is they have struggled coming out of the bye. And the importance of this game was they were able to have those struggles. And then they get the spark in the form of Daquan Hardy. And then they come out on their next offensive drive, uh, run in for a touchdown. They end up getting a big play in the passing game with a 21-yard completion, a 21-yard catch and run for Harrison Wallace. Their next offensive drive, march right down the field, score a touchdown there. One after that, march right down the field, score a touchdown there. So I think they did a really good job and were really successful in navigating something that has been tricky for them. And to whatever extent I now have a little more confidence or I feel different about next week, it is that they were able to kind of shake off some rust. They were able to just go out there, take care of business, get into a rhythm, you know, get their confidence up a little bit against a not great team before they go and play the best team, their best or second best team they're going to play all season. 
So I'm glad you mentioned Trey Wallace right off the bat, because that's been a big story. And again, there's really not much to take away from a blowout win over UMass in mid-October. But I think the return of Trey Wallace is is worthy of a couple minutes of our time, Bill. So, you know, Trey came back in. He caught three balls for 44 yards. That was second on the team in terms of yardage and third on the team in terms of receptions. A guy who it's very clear will move the sticks, can make some plays in the open space, and I think is going to be a really big security blanket for Drew Aller. I don't think I really realized how valuable Trey Wallace was going to be to this team before he was gone for the better part of a month. What do you think his return did, or in terms of shifting your expectations now for this receiver room? Because I pulled up here, Bill. Obviously, Penn State didn't throw a lot. They didn't have to. The starters didn't really play a ton, especially as things kind of got out of hand late. But if the stats in front of me are correct, it was just Keandre Lambert-Smith and Trey Wallace to record catches amongst Penn State receivers. And, and that doesn't really, really surprise me. Um, I th- Again, I think so much of this game was about getting into a rhythm, getting comfortable, uh, getting, you know, kind of the ones as much run together as they possibly could. And mm-hmm. obviously Trey Wallace uh, is, is an important piece of that puzzle. He's out. Uh, uh, on the year now, 13 receptions, 142 yards, uh, 10.9 uh, yards per reception. And it's interesting because I I think him coming back gave them a little bit more freedom to try things down the field with Keandre Lambert-Smith. And what mm-hmm. I mean by that is Keandre Lambert-Smith on the game, six receptions, 30 yards, long of nine. On face value, that's not especially, uh, you know, that's not especially impressive. If memory serves, and I will, I have to go back and look, I might get this wrong. First play of the game, uh, first and 10, Penn State's 29. I think Drew Auer was looking down the field for either Trey Wallace or Keandre Lambert-Smith. I uh, ended up just kind of throwing an incompletion. I think some people in the media might refer to that as taking a shot. Uh, And then you look a little bit farther down the game, there were two times uh, where Drew Auer tried to throw the ball down the field to Keandre Lambert-Smith. One, it was a second and 12, Penn State's 45 in the second drive of the game. Another, it was a first and 10 on UMass's 36th. uh, A little bit, I I believe, in the the, uh, game's second quarter. And both of those stick out to me, Matt, because both of those ended with defensive pass interference calls. And I believe there was another one a little bit later in the game where it was borderline. Keandre could have gotten uh, a pass interference call with Auer throwing down the field and the referee just ended up calling. I think Keandre was a little bit upset about that. So I think that when you have Trey Wallace in there, and he can be kind of the short to intermediate safety valve that Drew Auer looks to. You know, he has his tight ends, his running backs, then he has uh, then he has Trey Wallace as a guy he trusts and he knows will be there, knows will get open, catch the ball, that sort of thing. You would He's then a chain have, over. Yeah, you would then have freedom mm-hmm. to do a little bit more down the field with Keandre Lambert-Smith if you want. And if you remember, you know, to reference, as I just did in a very smart-ass way, the answer that Franklin gave to Corey Geiger about taking a shot, something that Franklin was very careful to make sure he mentioned is that he's they're never saying just throw it deep to that one guy. You want to give your quarterback options in what he's doing. You want to give him 
obviously deep post, someone's running that, but you want to give something underneath, something a little more safe, something he knows is going to be there. And I think when you have Trey Wallace, you can, they kind of needed Keandre Lambert Smith to be that guy. When you have Trey Wallace mm-hmm. in there, you can have Keandre be the guy who you try to do stuff down the field with, and you know you have a really good option in Trey Wallace there. So that's where I think his return, Matt, is like a crucial piece of the puzzle for this Penn State offense. That's a great call out, Bill. I didn't really thought about it like that. But now, like, the more I think back, going back to like 2021 specifically, Jahan Dotson was the deep play guy, but Parker Washington was a chain mover. That was a guy who you checked down to, you got him out in space, and he can move the sticks. I think Liam Clifford was that for a lot of the first half of this year in Trey's absence. Now that Trey Wallace is back, it's clear that that's a role that he's going to fill, and it yeah. is going to give Keandre Lambert Smith these opportunities to use that speed we're always hearing about to try to take the top off the defense, and whether that be to you know gain a quote-unquote explosive play through a 15-yard pass interference penalty or to actually hit on those deep shots like we saw against West Virginia, it's going to open up a lot of things for this passing game and I think really just help Drew Aller's confidence continue to grow. And I'm curious to see how the explosive plays continue to be a topic of conversation because they arrived against UMass in a kind of boring way. I mean, you tweeted this book from the blog, which I was pretty surprised by. Uh, Take Smith with a 39-yard run was the longest run of the year for Penn State. The second longest run came the very next play with Bo Pribula's 31-yard touchdown run. In the passing game, Trey Wallace, like you mentioned, with a 21-yard reception. Mm-hmm. And Theo Johnson, finally back in the end zone, love that for him. But he get, came out there with a 30-yard reception himself. So, Bill, we can't really... I don't know how, how confidently either of us feel speaking about this, but we're six games in. The non-conference cupcakes are gone. The explosive plays were really only here over a month ago. Are they still out there? Or are the explosive plays going to look more like 30-yard plays as opposed to like 55-yard and more plays at this point? Where do you think we're going to fall? I think that with how much it seems like they value ball control, it just seems unlikely to me. It, well, well, here's here's kind of the tricky part about it, I would say. You look at the teams that they've played, just kind of the game states that they've had this year. There's really only been one game that they've played against a team that they've been that they've had their healthy wide receiver core. And they have been able to kind of attack the defense. Uh, <laughs> that and that would have been the, the opening game against West Virginia when they had those big plays. And then you go down, down the list. Illinois, their defensive line was just able to dominate that game. Trey Wallace isn't there. Sluggish. Eleven a.m. Start. Whatever you want to say. Iowa, <laughs> a team that is designed to just take big. Like they do not allow you to have any sort. of of big play and Northwestern real quick, Bill, real quick for Iowa. Um, congratulations to the Hawkeyes on their big 10 West title. Boy, that (laughs) God almighty. I hate everything about that conference. Uh, and then Northwestern, which yes, obviously not like stellar or anything like that. Uh, big plays were kind of lacking in that one. Keandre Lambert Smith also caught, uh, one ball 
you know, had that one thirty-five yard game. Tyler Warren had a fifteen yard game. Dante Stevens had a thirty-five yard game. Nick Sing a uh, fifteen yard game. Nick Singleton had a sixteen yard game. Gain. I think fifteen plus is what I could be wrong. Is right around what they track as a big play in the passing. So I think had, twelve. Yeah, I think it's twelve for running. Right, I think it's yeah. fifteen for passing. Yeah, well, they had a few of those against Northwestern, and they had them against West Virginia. It you know a lot more frequent uh, through the air, not necessarily on the ground. They had those more frequently, and I just wonder if now that we're getting into a portion of the schedule where their wide receiver room is going to be healthy, where, you know, there's nothing they haven't really seen yet. And maybe teams are going to say, we're just going to man you up or you're not going to be, uh, you know, we're going, there are opportunities to beat us deep in a way that maybe you didn't have as a team like an Iowa or a team like an Illinois that is, you know, stacking the box and trying to take big plays away from you just because they know they have no chance if you hit a couple of those. Maybe it's different, but I I don't know. I, Occam's Razor does ultimately say the easiest answer is the correct one. The easiest answer is Penn State's offense is going to be one that's maxing out, you know, maybe one 30, 35-yard play a game and then just a lot of like 12, 18, 15, 20, 15 scattered throughout. So I, I, I don't exactly think we're going to be getting the 2016 offense anytime soon. Which is which is fine. I yeah. think that's just we have to just come to terms with that, and I'm fine with that. I I don't mind the fact that this team is, I think, leading the country still in terms of time of possession. I think that's going to make. I think Bill, did you say this in the preseason or was it like after a couple of weeks that this Penn State team is going to be near impossible to come back against? I said it early on in the season, but I will. I, I, the one addendum I will make to that was it, it, I thought that Penn State was going to be able to consistently run the ball for, you know, six, seven yards a pop when, as games go on and they're wearing you down. And maybe the fact that they just haven't had to put a lot of miles on anyone's odometer on offense means that we just haven't seen them do that yet. And in the fourth quarter, having to tackle Katron out or Nick Singleton is a real pain in the ass. But I, th- that that is one thing where... I, I admit that I might end up being a little bit wrong on that. I just need, I just want to see, like, this weekend's going to be the perfect test for all of this. But I want to see with consistency, what does it look like when these guys are, um, you know, what does it look like when these guys just have to kind of grind away against another team? Well, speaking of consistency, you know what is consistently excellent? Is it home field apparel? It's the shirts and the quality of the shirts from our friends over at Home Field Apparel. If you have not heard about Home Field Apparel, what are you doing? They make some of the coolest collegiate apparel and merchandise in the marketplace today. Crudex, hoodies, t-shirts. I saw a Penn State uh, Home Field long sleeve t-shirt out in the wild uh, yesterday at the bar, which I was very excited to see. Right. And our listeners can get 15% off their first order with promo code RLR23. Again, they don't just have Penn State gear. The holidays are coming up. They have it for pretty much every school under the sun, and they are always adding more. Again, that's 15% off your first order with promo code RLR23. Thank you to all of you for sponsoring this podcast. And Bill, what do you think about the Penn State defense right now? They're good. Very, very acute analysis, and I would tend to agree. Uh, I think, yeah, again, there's really not much you could have taken away from this. I love the fact that they limited big plays. I think 
against Delaware, and this is going to sound mean comparing an FBS foe to an FCS foe, but Delaware is probably the most comparable team to UMass on the schedule. And the only way Delaware really scored points is through explosive plays. The Penn State defense didn't allow that to UMass, and that's a big step in the right direction. They were dominant. They should have been dominant. The big thing here, no injuries. Nobody got hit with targeting to sit out the first half against Ohio State. Yeah. So I view this bill as pretty much the perfect defensive outing. What do you say? I, I would, I'd, I'd certainly agree with that. I mean, I think that a really big part of a game like this is that c- coming off of a bye, you, you just need to be able to get in a rhythm. You just need to be able to build your confidence up a little bit. You just need to be able to do like all these little things that make it so the next time you step onto the football field, you are as you feel like you are in as good of a place as you possibly can. And I think when you look at some of the players who really made, you know, really imposed themselves on this game, Devon Ellie's two and a half tackles for a loss. Awesome game. So Penn- happy for that dude. As a senior to do yeah, that, yeah. that's really cool. Whenever a guy has a game like that. Penn State's going is. to need a good game out of him next week. Adiza Isaac, three and a half tackles for loss, two and a half sacks. If he has a monster game next week, can't put into words how important that is. Chop Robinson, two he, tackles he for loss. He might against those tackles too. Yeah. yeah. Two tackles for loss, two sacks, denied in the Sutton, a half tackle for loss, half a sack. Those guys are going to need to have gigantic games next week speeding up Kyle McCord pushing around uh, a, a tackle particularly at Ohio State offensive line that is just not up to kind of its usual standard like there are just all these things that this game was important for at no point here's a fun stat for you Matt hit it UMass's longest reception of the day was 16 yards UMass's longest run of the day was 16 yards those were their two longest plays of the day. Do you know what their third longest play of the day was? Well, oh, this is a great stat because I have no idea. It was um, denied Dennis Sutton committing a roughing the passer. That's pretty funny. Penn State. <laughs> that's just. I was gonna guess a penalty, but I'm like, no, nah, there's no way. It's probably like nine yards. So yeah. That's yeah. That makes sense. Penn- also, weak, weak roughing the passer call. Yeah, that was yeah. weak. I, I, I. It was one of those ones where like. You should not know not to put yourself in that kind of situation, blah, blah, blah. But you di- just don't do it next week. Don't don't put yourself in a situation next week where they can call a flag on you for that. Because I agree. I didn't think there was much of anything. Yeah, there was too terribly much of that. But 45 passing yards, 64 uh, rushing yards. Uh, I-, I believe when you take um, sacks out of it, it was like 104 rushing yards or something. But it's... They- Still weren't exactly uh, service academy and get up against this Penn State defense. It, it was just the exact kind of physically dominant, soul crushing performance that Penn State's defense needed to have in a game against a team that, you know, was right there for them to do whatever they wanted in this football game. And I think a big a big thing that's appealing to me just about that kind of performance bill, and then we can move on and talk about the real star of the show, which is weirdly enough special teams. Uh, I I just love the fact that you look at snap counts, and yeah, I, I won't dive into them. I don't I don't have pull up in front of me, but a lot of guys got to play really valuable reps, and a lot of starters got to go out there 
and just, you know, check, get, shake the rust off of the bye week, stay healthy and perform. I love the fact that the first guy we mentioned in a defensive shutout is Devon Ellis. I think that's so cool. I love that Adisa Isaac gets to go out there and have a multi-sack game. I love the fact that Keon Wiley, who I think is going to be a really good player here one day, is pretty high up the team in terms of tackles for the day. This is just the perfect Manny Diaz experiment this late in the year, where I think Curtis Jacobs probably still leads the team in tackles, Bill, and it can't be much more than 20. And after six games, that's that's almost unheard of for me in my Penn State fandom. I don't know about you. I actually am interested in this now. So give me one second and I'll see if I can pull this up. Uh, 23 total tackles for Curtis Jacobs yep. first on the team. Crazy. 23 for number 23. How about that? Yeah. Um, let's talk about da- number 25, Bill. Daquan Hardy. Cool moment. Two cool moments. Well, two cool moments. And then you were forgetting that after his first punt return, for a touchdown, UMass's next drive, they get a third and nine, and uh, Tyson Fomacon throws a pretty decent pass uh, to mm-hmm. the sideline, and Hardy just lays out, swats that thing down, uh, and you know gets gets the pass breakup on it. He was he imposed himself on this football game, and he's you know that's a really good example of. Of he's a really good example of what was so important to about this game for me. He provides that spark with that off with that punt return for a touchdown. Next drive out, he makes a big play on third down to get the defense off the field. Penn State's offense, Penn, just generally after that, Penn State touchdown, UMass punt, Penn State touchdown, UMass punt, Penn State touchdown, UMass punt, end of half, UMass punt, Penn State touchdown, UMass punt, Penn State touchdown. Punt return for a touchdown, interception, Penn State touchdown, <laughs> UMass punt, Penn State touchdown, turnover on downs, end of game. He provided, you know, we talk about, and I want, I want to give some credit. I, I think uh, former Penn State linebacker, uh, currently with the, cur- currently with uh, state media, Brandon Bell, tweeted something out during the game where he said, like, he tweeted out a text where they basically said, yeah, they got an explosive play. They got the explosive play that we've been looking for. It just came on special teams, but it also came twice. They got mm-hmm. the big scoring plays in that way. And like for Daquan Hardy and what he's just done in his Penn State career to be able to kind of have this kind of moment and use it as a springboard heading into the biggest game of his Penn, what might end up being the biggest game of his football career Awesome, awesome, awesome to see him do that. I'm I'm excited that, you know, now Penn State special teams have been just kind of mid or return game especially has been kind of mid for a while now. Yeah. And it's cool that like, okay, a an Ohio State special teams unit that I'm not particularly impressed with now is to spend extra time thinking about how they're gonna stop Daquan Hardy. Uh and for the three star from Pittsburgh who didn't get an offer until the eleventh hour, that's just a cool story to have on uh, as just part of this week. Uh, and I'm thrilled for Daquan Hardy, and I hope he has a lot of success in that role um, and continues to just be a force in the nickel for Penn State. So, Bill, that that's pretty much all I really have to say about this U.S. game. Any final thoughts on the game? And we can kind of, we can take the next little bit of the pod wherever you want to go. If you want to do whip around the Big Ten, we can talk Big Ten. We can talk Ohio State. 
unless we want to keep the James Franklin line and save that for our podcast later this week. Uh, before we get there, any final thoughts on the UMass game? Well, Franklin did set out his Ohio State tweet, so I do, I'm do. i pretty sure he basically said that marks the start of the week. So I'm okay. I, I'm going to talk about Ohio State. But there's just uh, one guy I wanted to mention uh, because I do feel like he changed up the complexion of the game for one reason or another. Uh, is Can I guess? Can I guess who this is? Oh, it, it was Katron Allen. Mm, okay. It was Katron Allen. And what I basically believe, why I basically say that, Nick Singleton, uh, before Allen came in and started getting some run, nine-yard carry, five-yard carry, one-yard carry, two-yard carry, five-yard carry, loss of four. He just, once again, didn't really look like Nick Singleton with the kind of guy, the guy that we anticipated him being coming into this year. Katron Allen comes in. His first run is for 18 yards. Next up, run for three yards, run for two yards to get them right down to the doorstep. Drew Allen runs it in. Next drive, Allen five yards, 17 yards, 10 yards, three yards, nine yard touchdown run. Nick Singleton then comes back into the game and gets the next drive. The first Four plays of that drive are a seven-yard run, a seven-yard run, a seven-yard run, and a four-yard run for Nick Singleton. And I just think that it was a good reminder that Pence, when Katron Allen is kind of setting the tone as the running back, and then you get Nick Singleton in there, and he could be the lightning to Singleton's thunder, good things happen. And I think as long as those two guys are in t- unison. And I, I would say Allen is getting basically the starter reps at linebacker with Singleton, uh, you know, might even just be a 55-45 split or something like that. I think that's a really good thing for Penn State's offense. I would agree. I think I think Kajon Allen is the more consistent back right now. I think I, maybe that part of that's just IMG and how they develop guys to, to kind of exist in a college program already. Uh, but he he was a revelation, I thought, especially coming off of an injury or whatever kept him out of Northwestern towards the end and the bye week. I think he was he needed a game like that. And that was awesome to see. Uh, one quick shout out for me, uh, Cam Miller, to go out there and get a couple of sacks out of the secondary. I thought was yeah. pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, and it, that's always cool. And, and for these, you know, again, these guys who aren't the Abdul Carters, who aren't the Chop Robinsons, get their chance to shine in games like this. Uh, it's really cool. And I hope that they can build on that moving forward. So yeah, I, I agree. And I, I do want to say, like, it, it does seem like whenever um, whenever Miller does anything, the defense seems to be especially happy about that, which is really cool. Yeah, yeah. You can't, you can't go wrong with a guy like that who's, who's biding his time on special teams and who is clearly like a guy beloved in that locker room. So, Bill, Ohio State week. Ohio State's had a lot of really weird injury stuff happen, and Mecca Ibuka was held out of the game last week against Purdue for them. Uh, Trayvon Henderson was out as well as Mayan Williams was out. The third string running back, whose name is escaping me, uh, he was banged up for a little bit. Uh, Chip Ohio Trainum. State's train him. Thank you. I knew it was with something like that. Um, the tackles in Ohio State's offensive line as a whole aren't exactly uh, confidence inspiring. We don't have to get into it just yet, Bill, but just overall with uh, six days and counting to go, how you feeling? Uh, I... We, I, I think so It's a loaded far, question. I, yeah, I feel the it's, same it's, way. It's, yeah. it's a tough question because, like, I don't think Penn State's going to win this football game. I don't think Penn okay. State is going to go into Columbus and beat them. You look, I, I think Bill Connolly put out SP Plus 
uh, his FP plus projection already, and it has Penn State losing uh, 27 to 22. I think uh, Penn State opened at like a six point underdog. I think it's moved to about five or four and a half, something like that. So there's so a Bill l- Connolly hates our team. Well, but yeah, Bill Connolly and Las Vegas both obviously have it out for us. And <laughs> I think that one, one concern, one thing that is lingering in the back of my mind is that you look at Penn State's schedule so far, and Penn State hasn't really had like a remarkable, terrifying, uh, you know, one team that they just had to dig deep and beat. And it's a, you know, a really great team where they've faced major adversity and we've seen what they have in them in a way that only a game like that can pull out, which, you know, Ohio State had that against uh, Notre Dame. Obviously, they ended up getting a little bit fortunate to escape that the game the way they that they did. But also, you know, we saw this past weekend when Notre Dame is humming, they can, you know, smother USC's offense or something like that. Uh, according Indeed. to FPI, Penn State number 112 nationally in uh, strengths of schedule, Ohio State number 62. And... I'm a Ohio State's defense is excellent. It's They're I re- think it's it's weird. They're really good. I I think they are the defense Penn State would have the most trouble with injury, even more so than Iowa because of how they're able really? to attack and they are able to control the line of scrimmage. Um, and yeah, you just and I I also think like even though their offensive line hasn't been you know, the world beaters that we expect them to do, their running backs are injured, blah, 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 blah. You look at what they have. Kyle McCord has a better passer rating and a much better QBR than Drew Aller does this year. Kyle McCord is sixth nationally in QBR. Drew Aller is 24th in QBR. They have the weapon to end all weapons in Marvin Harrison Jr., and even if Emeka Egbuka is hurt, they have guys in Julian Fleming and some of their youngsters like uh, Carnell Tate is incredibly promising. Who could se- step in? Kate Stover's and- been a good player for them too this year. He's had, Kate- a, I think, been one of the better tight ends in the Big Ten this year. Kate, Kate Stover is just churning along out there doing his thing. And you look at all that stuff and the fact this game is happening in Columbus, and I just don't think Penn State has enough to win this football game. Having said that, I think Penn State has a shot. And all that I wanted them to have coming into this season is a shot to win this game. And four and a half point underdogs, uh, FPI has it about 63-36 Ohio State. It's there for Penn State. Percentage of winning, right? 63% chance Ohio State wins? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, two out of every three simulations FPI runs. Penn State has a shot. I don't know if they're going to be able to take advantage of that shot. I really hope they do. But, like, I'm not going to call this season a failure if they can't go into one of the toughest places to play in college football and knock off the number three team in the country. I just want them to go in there, and I want in the fourth quarter, they have a chance. And if they have a chance, I'm going to think they can do this. 
but I'm ju- I, I just don't know if they're going to be able to get it to get over the line in this one. And we'll give our formal predictions here later on in the week. One thing I just want to make sure I hit on at the top of the week, just because I want to noodle on it and if I put it out there, I'll think about it. Because uh, if it's out there in the public, then people can hear about it. Um, for, what do you think, Bill? 15 years, Ohio State's offense was the best individual unit in this game. Fair to say? Um, I don't know if I'd say 15 years because that means you're going back to like... Okay, 10, 10. Yeah, let's say 10 then. Sure. Frank, we'll say, yeah, sure. I think uh, the Penn State defense in 2023 is the best unit in this game or will be the best unit in this game. I feel that confident about the Penn State defense right now. So just something that I want to noodle on throughout the course of the week. You know, Ohio State's offense was always viewed as a juggernaut, even when Penn State had those great defenses. It was always kind of expected that Ohio State's going to get theirs. I just think that where things stand right now, Manny Diaz's defense, just with how aggressive they're playing and how good they've been, they might be the actual best unit out there on the field on Saturday. I I think they're going to have a shot to be the best unit on the field. But again, my concern revolves around what Penn State has and has not seen up to this point in the season. West Virginia, 53rd in offensive SP+. Iowa, I'm not even going to like pretend to let's see, 121st in offensive SP+. Illinois, 80th in offensive SP+. Northwestern, 110th in offensive SP+. UMass, 119th in offensive SP+. You can make the case that Delaware is the third best offense that Penn State has played up to this point in the season. And Ohio State, for how it has struggled, struggled by their standards on offense is eighth in offensive SP plus. So it's a concern that I have. I'm, I don't want to knock Penn state too much because it's defense has gone above and beyond and taking care of business in every mm-hmm. single one of these Agreed. games. But this is like in baseball when you're facing Jamie Moyer and Jamie Moyer is throwing 70 miles an hour for six innings, and next thing you know, the team goes to the bullpen, and this dude with a hundred who throws a hundred and two with crazy movement comes in. It's such a different test that the first the first quarter is going to be very interesting to me because we're going to see right away how much of Penn State's dominance on defense revolves around just playing absolute nobodies and how much of it revolves around this is legitimately one of the two or three best defenses in America. We're only glad you mentioned our old friend, not friend of the podcast, not a sponsor of the podcast, but 2008 World Series champion, Jamie Moyer. Yeah, Jamie Uh, Moyer, if you want to sponsor the podcast, we'll let you. (laughs) All right, Phil, anything else you got before we send the folks off into the start of their week? Uh, Maybe one of the most anticipated games of the James Franklin era on the horizon. Uh, any final thoughts before we send the folks off? Uh, no, nothing. Uh, it's something that we'll repeat on uh, on the other pods we do this week. We are going to have a behind enemy lines look at Ohio State and then our own preview of Ohio State uh, a little bit later in the week. But if you are going to be coming to this game uh, hit me and you want to know places to go, hit me up. I live two miles away. Uh, I can tell you where to go in Columbus, Ohio, if you want to have as good of a time as possible. Uh, it is actually, surprisingly, not a terrible place, despite the fact that the... Um, 
you know, the Ohio State University is here. Although I can't think about I can't think of a better way to end it. Again, Penn State cruises this week to a sixty-three to nothing homecoming win over UMass. <laughs> Uh, if you like what you heard here today, be sure to hit subscribe on your podcast network of choice. Uh, be sure to leave us a five star review and uh, let us know if you have any uh, if you have any questions. I know a couple of the podcast outlets have a feature where you can drop a question in there. Feel free to drop us a question. I'll try to address it on the next pod. Again, if you're watching on YouTube, hit that subscribe button, hit the like button, join us in the comments. Let us know your thoughts on on the Penn State UMass game. And as we look ahead to Ohio State, well, like we're expecting a lot of really fun interaction down there. Uh, be sure to follow us out there on Twitter over at RLR blog. We're always going to be tweeting throughout the week. Uh, we've had a lot of fun, Bill, with the Bing AI image generator being not a sponsor, but they could be. Uh, and I expect a lot of very weird things to get posted out from the from the blog account this week. Uh, and uh, thank you always, always to our partners over at Homefield Apparel. That's promo code RLR23 for 15% off your first order. And that'll do it for tonight. So for my co-host, Bill DeFilippo, I'm Matt Plibovitz. Take care, everyone, and go state.